Today on CityCast Chicago, we're breaking down Chicago's 52nd annual Pride Parade efforts at City Council to increase minimum wage for tipped workers, and the Cubs are headed to London. I'm joined by Chicago Reader's Editor-in-Chief Salem Carlo Julin and Chicago Magazine contributing editor Ted McClellan. It's Friday, June 23rd. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is What Chicago is Talking About. Good morning, Salem. Good morning, Ted. Welcome to CityCast. Good morning. Hey, Jacoby. Before we jump into our regular Friday routine where we look back on the stories that matter to you, I want to first ask y'all, right? We It's officially summer now. We can say it. We are in the, the summertime season, which means it's a good time to talk about summer food, eating outdoors, the restaurants we might only be able to experience when the weather is really good. We just did an episode yesterday with our friends, 77 Flavors of Chicago. Uh, but I want to start with you, Salem. What's a go-to summer restaurant for you? I got two for you, um, which are best used during the warmer months. So the first one is way up north in Edgewater, uh, Moody's uh, on Broadway near Mm -hmm. Thorndale. Um, They've been a neighborhood stable for a long time, and they have one of the biggest um, side yard patios, I think, that uh, any restaurant has in the city. Their burgers are good, you know, blue cheese on a burger, can't go wrong. But yeah, if you want to show up somewhere with 20 people and hang out outside, that's a good place to go. (laughs) And then my south side option would be Pier 31, which is at uh, 31st Street Beach, Um, they've just started doing, uh, regular house music on Thursday nights and the crowd there goes wild. Beautiful. Moody's pub, uh, and pier 31, you got a little beach action, got a little patio action, right? You got a little something for everybody. Uh, Tim, what's one of your go-to summer restaurants? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to go to Edgewater too and say the waterfront, which is in Burger Park. And that's only open in the summer. And I think pretty much, I think all the dining is outside on the patio. Uh, they got some, they got some great uh, summer salads. They have a seafood salad, a roasted uh, sweet corn salad. They got music and you're just right on top of the lake there. You catch all the breezes. Hey, I'm going to take us from Edgewater down to Brainerd Park. I told people in my episode yesterday, but Dan's Hot Dog is officially open um, over in Brainerd, and, and I absolutely love it. I just found out that they in the Vienna Beef Hall of Fame. I didn't even know that they had a Hall of Fame, uh, but now I know one of my favorite childhood staples in there, and I feel even more pride. Every single week, we talk about the stories that matter to our guests. A Salem, the Chicago Reader just put out a fantastic pride issue, complete with everything from heartfelt profiles, heartbreaking obituaries, some amazing uh, writing, uh, sitting down with trans elders. And we got the Pride Parade coming up Sunday as well. You said you wanted to tell us a little bit about the importance behind the route and its expansion over the years. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I think when a lot of people think about uh, pride parades in general in big cities, they're thinking it's just for wherever your LGBTQ plus community tends to gather. In Chicago, uh, for a long time, that's been what we're now calling North Halstead, uh, that section of Lakeview, you know, Belmont and Halstead to about Addison and Halstead and a little bit parts beyond. And I think it's really important for us to remember that the first pride uh, here in Chicago in 
1970 was actually had nothing to do with that neighborhood. It was a gathering of people who were activists who were creating a march and a rally, and they started over in Washington Square right by Newberry Library. Uh, their goal was to get all the way downtown to where the water tower place is. I think over the years, we've seen uh, a recognition from almost everyone in Chicago that there are LGBTQ people in every neighborhood, in every community area. Mm. So the the narrative that this parade is only for one stretch of Halstead is pretty false. But uh, we can see uh, that the organizers also believe in that to some extent. Um, so the parade for the last few years has started all the way at Montrose. Mm. Uh, in Uptown, mm-hmm. and now it goes all the way down to Diversity and Halstead. So encompassing at least a, a larger group of North Side neighborhoods. And then at Diversity, there's a there's a good spot for speeches and a rally, which again um, gets back to the heart of the parade. It's not just celebrating a people, but it's also about looking at looking at all of the successes and failures over the last few years for this community and, yeah. and and where we go from here. Yeah, when we started our summer entertainment guide, we started with pride, reminding people that, you know, it's not just a parade. It's a, it's a month-long set of celebrations, but also an advocacy for celebrations to be year-round. You know, um, pride is not just to, limited to one neighborhood. Pride is not limited mm-hmm. to one month of the year. It's uh, really a great thing, I think, for Chicago um, to, to see all of these different kinds of organizations and events happening all throughout the month of June. And I, I, I have a lot to complain about here. Chicago native, there's always going to be something mm-hmm. that's part of what we do. But, um, but, but that this is something that I really cheer on and, and celebrate. And I'm glad that Chicagoans, for the most part, seem to be in celebration along with the rest of us. Mm-hmm. Salem, you know, how has that diversity that you see in the newsroom showed up in this edition of the Pride issue? That profile I want to draw attention to again, trans elders and and members of the Chicago Reader staff sitting down with them and and learning a little bit about their journey and what their lessons can can teach us as we move forward. Yeah, thank you for for bringing that up, Jacoby. You know, a lot of times when the stories are told about the LGBTQ experience, we're talking about struggle and strife. And we wanted to talk to people who have been around and been able on this side of the century to be able to uh, experience the joy that that comes with acceptance, you know. And so we had four of our writers uh, sit down with uh, uh, four elders in the uh, both trans and non-binary communities um, from a lot of different perspectives, um, one of whom is actually living um, as an unhoused person at this point. So um, with all of those challenges, really still being able to talk about uh, their joy and um, the excitement about um, exploring gender. Um, I can't stress the importance of that enough um, after you know um, seeing years of um, various members of our communities, especially our trans siblings, being, you know, misjudged, mistreated, miscategorized, all of it. And um, to be in 2023 and, and have people actually able to live their lives is so important. Mm-hmm. Ted, I want to bring you in here. There's a movement at City Hall to eliminate the lower minimum wage for tip workers. And this has been a fight that's been ongoing. But now with Brandon Johnson and the most progressive city council we've seen, uh, it, it's gaining more steam. Uh, can you catch our listeners up on this? Yeah, I went to the I went to the city council meeting and uh, during his his press conference after the meeting, Brandon Johnson said uh, 
you know, Chicago voted for uh, a progressive government and Chicago deserves a progressive government. And this was I think this is going to be a test of whether uh, he can deliver the progressive government that that he promised. Um, this came up when Lori Lightfoot was mayor uh, and, and she blocked it. I mean, the idea is the you know tip workers now they have a flat minimum wage. It's uh, nine forty eight an hour, and it's to bring it up to fifteen eighty an hour, which is the the uh, the citywide minimum wage. Uh, I and mean, both of those as of July first, the nine forty eight and the and the fifteen eighty. That's right. That's mm-hmm. right. And um, Mayor Johnson's floor leader is. Uh, uh, Alderman uh, Carlos Ramirez Rosa, who was, of course, the original Democratic Socialist on the city council. Uh, Alderman Mike Rodriguez is pushing this, and uh, uh, Jesse Fuente. So, so, so some of the some of the top names uh, among the city council progressives. But uh, you know, are there going to be twenty six votes for this? Especially because obviously, you can expect that uh, you know Sam Toya and the Illinois Restaurant Association are. Uh, are going to be vehemently opposed to this. Mm-hmm. The justification for this is, you know, tipped workers make up the difference in tips, whether they're pooling tips together, whether they get to keep all of their tips. Uh, but many advocates have come out against that and saying, even if you account for tips, this subminimum wage doesn't create a living wage for people, for for the industries and individuals that push back. What What is their argument against creating a sort of one wage for all? Well, I think I think just what just what you said that you know that they, they make up for in giving tips. I've heard uh, restaurant owners say things like, you know, if you can't afford to tip, uh, you can't afford to go out to eat. But I think there's also the argument is if you can't afford to pay your workers a minimum wage, maybe you can't afford to own a business. Mm-hmm. And when we have that flat argument about people making up in tips, I feel like we always point to sort of high end dining restaurants. We always point towards the loop and downtown where people might be getting, you know, 50, 60, 100 dollars on a tip. But forget that a a large amount of Chicagoans restaurant work, tipped work is some of their their first jobs It make up a large majority of jobs for young people in the city. And, And it isn't a standard. Right. We know this ourselves, what we all make tip could could change drastically from nothing you know anywhere um above that right right and and you know these workers they don't know exactly how much they're going to make from week to week Mm -hmm. you know they they, they don't they don't have the certainty of of a wage that that everybody else does salem do you think there's a chance that this will be a maybe an early major victory for johnson because you know raising the minimum wage six dollars even if it's you know sort of over a, a, a like multi-year process um will be a, a huge accomplishment well it's going to be an interesting fight i think it'll be a test more of the the organizations that have been supporting such a raise for the last few years like seiu uh, a lot of the Exactly. Yeah. And and a lot of the, the unions that supported Johnson in his campaign, now's the time to see, like, you know, um, are, are you going to continue to uh, push this agenda or 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 put him to the test a little bit? I don't know if as a city that we're we're ready for raising the wage such that uh, we get out of um, uh, tipped labor. But um, as somebody who worked for many years in food service and bars, I think that would be great. And it would give honor to what those jobs really are as well.
Salem, you wanted to uh, shed some light on a story coming out of Harvey uh, and one of our favorite reporters, Amethyst Davis, over at the Harvey World Herald. Uh, Can you remind people uh, what the Harvey World Herald is and talk a little bit about their recent reporting? So the Harvey World Herald is the the news outlet of uh, the the town of Harvey, uh, Cook County, South Suburban, for those who are not familiar, look it up on a map. Um, Harvey is the birthplace of, 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 of many um, uh, people who are associated with Chicago hip hop. It's been the birthplace of NBA players. Um, and Harvey has had a really tough time as suburbs go um, in terms of governmental management, water management, all kinds of stuff. Um, and I think the people of Harvey are really sick of being associated with, with such corruption. Um, so I first became aware of the Harvey World Herald uh, when they became members of um, SEMA, which is the Chicago Independent Media Alliance, an organization that uh, the, the reader put together and, and are also proud members of. So mm-hmm. the, the story that I was looking at was uh, came out last week from writer Lauren Shepard about um, the governing bodies in um, in Harvey um, uh, not really um, doing what they're supposed to in terms of the Open Meetings Act. And this is just another, I mean, it's a very basic story, but given that Harvey hasn't had journalists looking at places of corruption, places of of uh, problems with within uh, their government, um, this sort of thing could have gone on for years. And that's what creates all of these issues. Yeah. And this reporting was a clear example of what journalism can accomplish as well, because when they what they realized is that all of these public bodies who were meeting across Harvey, whether it was the city itself, whether it was libraries, the parks, the school boards, not only were they not updating their minutes Recently, some of them hadn't been doing it for years. And like you said, if you're trying to root out corruption, one of your first opportunities is transparency over the open and closed meetings that are taking place within your township. And I want to give some credit to the interim superintendent of Harvey School District 152, Leela Bridges Webb, who was the only representative from one of these bodies to respond to the reporting, apologized, took accountability and started to update some of those records saying that when you are a public body, I think the public whose tax dollars help support us, they should know how their money is being spent and what decisions are being made. And so this isn't simply, as, you know, oh, they, they aren't updating their records. No, the, this is the base way that we as the public can figure out what's taking place behind the closed doors of government. Mm-hmm, 100%. Every single episode of City Cash Chicago ends with us uh, singing to you, the listener, with some good news, <laughs> something to get you through the weekend, the rest of your day, an event that we got coming up. Ted, what is your good news for City Cash today? Well, the Cubs have won eight out of their last 10, and you know mm-hmm. I thought that would make a bigger difference because they were in a pretty weak division, but the Reds have won 11 in a row, so they're still five games behind, but they're going <laughs> to London this weekend. Yes, they are to take on long time, long time rival the Cardinals. Yes. What's leading this this sort of winning streak? They've won ten of their last twelve. Uh, what what do you think's helping? Marcus Stroman has been a huge ace. He's won uh, mm-hmm. he's won seven games in a row. I'm just looking at the standings. They they're the only team in the division with a positive uh, a positive run differential. So I mean, I think they're they're getting great pitching. Um, 
And, uh, you know, in, in the in the NL Central, I think they, they got a chance. They might have a shot at, at the wild card. Right now, the Reds, like you said, 11-1 and one in, in their last 12. It's early. They might have a shot at winning the whole thing. You know, they're only five games behind it. We're not even at the All-Star break. Uh, you know I wasn't going to get a Cubs that, right? I'm here to talk, right. you know, Chicago general, but if well, we start Sox talking about even, whether... The Sox aren't even... Are, see, I, are see, 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 see you ain't got to do this. Division. What you doing? What you doing right now? What you doing? What you doing right now? Uh-oh. Cut his mic. No one, no one said anything about the Sox. Don't, don't, bring, don't bring them up. 15 games under 500. Don't, don't talk about that. Nope. <laughs> Uh, the London game will take place Saturday and Sunday. Uh, this the, these this series has been like three years in the making, uh, but got canceled obviously due uh, to the pandemic. Uh, Salem, you a baseball fan? You you happy with what's going on with the Cubs? You know, I, I, I what what is that? I'm sorry, my my team is the White Sox. I, is the there's another baseball team? <laughs> no, the Cubs that's are what great. I'm, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Salem, I feel you. And now it's time to kick it to you. What is your some good news. Well, I just wanted to talk about uh, how we kicked off this month of June. Uh, Jacoby, you were there. Uh, so within two days, I had two crazy Chicago achievements. Uh, the first one was on Thursday the 1st. The reader had our Best of Chicago party, which is our excuse to get together and celebrate with some of our readers. Um, and many of them who were voted the Best of Chicago in different categories got to show up that night. Thank you, Jacoby, for joining us for that. We really appreciated you being there. And then the next evening, and this is just me bragging now, um, I was able to go to a Windy City Thunderbolts game, which is Frontier League Baseball um, down in South Suburban Crestwood. Um, It was a fantastic game. And then um, in a weird uh, series of events, it had happened to be Svengoolie night at, at Thunderbolts. So I waited in line with everyone else. I'm a huge fan of Svengooly. And I was able to bring, uh, we had blow-ups made of a cover that we had Svengooly on in 2019 based Mm -hmm. on a cover story that I did for the reader, an interview with him. So I was able to bring him this big cover and um, get him to sign a few things and chat chat with Sven a little bit. And there were people dressed up. Um, uh, and so it was, it was a confusing night of baseball, Svengoolie, all kinds of great things, but I, I just feel mm-hmm. very, very Chicagoan now after all that. That story had everything, celebrating the best things across Chicago, a little bit of, uh, enjoyable baseball to, to keep the theme going. And then Svengoolie, I mean, Rich Cos has been Svengoolie for the last 40 four years yes. on Saturday nights, following up from the the original Svengoolie. My grandmother, who used to live off 87th and Sangamon, that was one of her go-tos. It was on every single Saturday, whether she was in the room or not. The TV just knew before you could program your TV to come on at a certain time and play your program. It just knew that it had to be on Svengoolie at night. <laughs> yeah. uh, so between that and Tales of the, the Crip, I got, got my horror feel as a kid. And, and now as an adult, I'm good on it. It. But but shout out to Rich Cause. Um, before we get out of here, I want to make sure I give my some good news. And over the last few weeks, like I said, we have been talking about our summer entertainment guides, whether it's the best of pride, the best music festivals, or uh, the best of summer food. And this weekend, I sort of got a best of both worlds when it comes to the Taste of Chicago Humble Park this Saturday from 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. coinciding with the Chicago House Music Festival. Um, it's been great, and people who listen to 
show know I am a fan of expanding the taste of Chicago into these neighborhood tastes. I've done them out in Austin. I've done them in Pullman. Uh, and I enjoy what they bring to the neighborhood. And mixing that with these neighborhood music festivals, I think it's been a been a great call by the city. Uh, and so I'm happy people are going to get a little bit of Humble Park, a little bit of house music, and then over 20 different neighborhood restaurants out there in Humble Park. So, uh, you already know if you want to find other Chicago events to participate in this weekend, uh, there are plenty of places to go. You can go to the Chicago Reader. You can go to Chicago Magazine. And of course, you can go to Hey Chicago, our daily newsletter at Chicago.CityCast.FM. Uh, I want to thank our guests again today for joining us on the microphone. The Chicago Reader's editor-in-chief, Salem Kahlo Julen, and the Chicago Magazine's contributing editor, Ted McClellan. Thank y'all so much. Thank hey, you. It's been us. an honor. A guy at my church told me about your uh, podcast, and I've become a longtime listener. Hey, I appreciate you. And it's been a long time coming for me to be able to say thank you for including us in your podcast right up. We have used it sure. as one of our notches. <laughs> and people go to our bio, two things they will see. Uh-huh. Uh, the Chicago Magazine calls us the essential Chicago listen, and the Chicago Reader has named <laughs> us the best Chicago podcast for the last two years. So both of y'all's organizations, we are sort of putting our clout hat on. So I appreciate both of y'all. <laughs> you too. Mutual Admiration Society. Before I let you go, I want to give a huge thank you to the entire CityCast Chicago team. That's lead producer Samoa Alisea, our newsletter editor Sydney Med, our producers this week are Natalie Rivera and Grant Irving. The music we all love is from Sam Thousand, all the kimonos, and Mark Greenberg from the Mayfair Workshop. If you love CityCast Chicago, and I'm assuming you do, you still listening this far into the podcast, please share it with all of your friends and family and leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to the podcast and make sure you following along with the best damn newsletter in the city hey chicago at chicago.citycast.fm i'll be here bright and early on monday hopefully you'll join me peace ted you even got me to talk about the cubs oh <laughs> they've been around longer than the white Sox, longer than any come on i don't need the history lessons i don't need none of i know the data i know when at 1916 and blah 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 i know i know i don't care and people actually come out to watch them too see you still going come on cut his mic i got it <laughs> oh man